morning. Good morning, Friendship Church. Good to see you on this, not as cold as they said it would be day. <laughs> Some say thank goodness, but good to see you here this morning. This is week three of our series, Kingdom Minded, and um, so thankful that our God is a good king, amen? So thankful for that, and we've been looking through uh, the, the last two weeks about kingdom-minded. Um, we talked about how God as our king the first week, then a nation under rule, and we looked at many verses um, back all the way to Revelation. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Uh, last week, he is making us into a holy nation or a royal priesthood. Um, and so we are looking forward to be kingdom-minded. We don't want to be self-minded or corrupt-minded. We want to be kingdom-minded in the things that we uh, talk about, uh, the things that we do. And so the last two weeks have been a, a kind of a broad, uh, a general, really from Genesis to Revelation, look at it. Today we're going to zoom in closely to uh, two people, uh, King Saul and King David. Um, and we're going to look at Saul thinking versus Saul thinking versus David thinking when it comes to being kingdom minded. And so we're zooming into uh, it, it's actually several stories here from kind of the beginning of Saul and then going into David, but but um, zooming in here to see what it looks like practically because we, the last two weeks were kind of big picture in general. What does this look like practically? What is being kingdom minded? What does that look like? What does that mean? So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel, and we'll be in uh, a few different chapters in 1 Samuel. We'll start with, uh, with verse 9, or chapter 9, excuse me, um, but then we'll be in several chapters after that looking at different parts of the story, but, but these are the two men that we're going to be looking at, uh, Saul thinking and David thinking. When we were uh, missionaries in the Netherlands, there was, there was two things that I learned, well, there was more than two things, but for the context of this <laughs> this sermon this morning. There was two things that I learned. Uh, one of the things was, and one of the things that they used to always say, that there's no such thing as bad weather, just wrong clothes. Okay? So that's, that's what they said. And so it was very cold all the time. I say all the time. Seven months out of the year, it was uh, cold. That's different for Texans, which is cold seven days out of the year. But seven months out of the year, it's cold, and it's rainy, and it's windy, and you rarely saw the sun, and all of that. And so they would say, oh, there's no such thing as bad weather, just wrong clothes. And so, you know, if it's cold outside, you put your coat on. And if it's rainy, you know, you do this, and if it's all that. And, and uh, that's what they told, that's what they said, that's what they taught me. And I disagree with them. I think that there is bad weather. <laughs> and so, um, but it was helpful to have, have a good coat over there. They, they actually made really, really good coats. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> and so, so that's one thing I learned. Second thing I learned was how to be in the presence of the Lord. It was, um, I, I think I've talked a little bit about this already, but, but before we went to the Netherlands, I, w I was very, very, um, well, I, I, of course, held office hours at church, and, and, and many of you, you hold office hours at your work, whatever, and, and, and I was kind of one of those, okay, if work ends at 5, then I'm out at 5.15, you know what I'm saying? You know, make sure that I get my office hours in and do this, do that. We go over there to be missionaries, and, you know, your job is to preach the gospel. So there was no office hours. And it was really weird to be at home at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday. Now, that's less weird over the past two years, I think, some, to be at home all day. Uh, but it was very, very weird 
for me, to not be somewhere, to not have a deadline, or to not have this boss that's telling me I need this by Thursday or whatever. I, I didn't have that. It was go over there and tell them about Jesus. <laughs> Those were the restrictions. And so it was, it was just very odd for me. So <clears throat> what I started to do is, is I would find times to pray, and I would have my normal time of prayer, but because I felt like I, wanted, I needed to do something, I needed to get my hands to something and do something, and, the, and, and there were things, obviously, that we did, but a lot of it was I would start walking around the city or riding my bike around the city and just praying for people and talking to the Lord, and we lived close-ish to the beach. Now, don't think Florida Beach, okay? Think, like, Canada Beach, okay? So it wasn't I, didn't all, I wasn't always swimming at the beach, but I would go to the beach, and, I would, and, and it was about a, maybe a 15-minute walk, and I would walk up and down the beach, let that cold water run over my feet, uh, and just walk up the beach down this way and then this way and walk home, talking with the Lord. And he really taught me about closeness, being close with the Lord. And it's definitely one of those things that I grew in exponentially in three years of being there is knowing how to get into the presence of the Lord and finding a place, finding anywhere that I can time, whether I'm driving in my car or wherever I'm at, getting in the presence of the Lord. How many of you love to be in the presence of the Lord? How many of you know you can be in the presence of the Lord outside church? How many of you know that? You, you don't have to wait till Sunday to be in the presence of the Lord. You can find a beach somewhere. Galveston's not that far. I don't know. You can find somewhere, and you can be in the presence of the Lord. And that's one of the major differences in Saul thinking versus David thinking. But let's walk through it here just a little bit in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Those of you who know the story, you know that, that uh, the Israelites, they asked for a king. They, they didn't like to be ruled by judges or by God anymore. And so they rejected God, and they told Samuel, we want a king. And so... They start looking for a king. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. It says, Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. So this is a guy that would look like a king. This is what you want in, uh, in someone that, that, that you have to look at all the time, whether it's a political figure or a king, or you could just imagine him, you know, on his, on his horse, and he's like looking off into the distance, and he just, he looks like a king, okay? He was young, he was good looking, he was tall, he was all of this. He had the appearance of what you would want as a king. For those who know the story, he started off very well as far as being in the presence of the Lord, following what God wanted him to do. We were to skip to 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5, it's just the next page over. God's talking uh, here to Saul. He says, after that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. So he's telling Saul, here's what you got to do. You're going to go over here, and you're going to see these people coming down, and they're going to be prophesying. He was not a prophet, but they're going to be prophesying. Verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. So Saul, at the beginning of his ministry, not only looked the part, but God was actually with him. 
So much so that these prophets are coming down. He's not a prophet. He's not one that prophesies. But here they come coming down prophesying, and he joins in with the prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord was on Saul. Okay? At one time, he was everything that we inspire to be. People wanted to be around him. He was, he was smart. He looked like a king. All this good stuff. But there began a progressive deterioration of Saul's character. The further he drifted from the Lord, the more tragic figure he became. He started doing some weird things. He, he started seeking out basically psychics of the day to find out what to do instead of going to talk to the Lord. Uh, he began to treat all the people around him just awfully, as we'll get to later. He began to do, just start doing some weird things where it started to be me-focused and not God-focused. The weird thing is, he still had success while he was doing it. He learned how to be successful without being spirit-led. And let me tell you, that's a dangerous place to be. If you learn how to be successful without being spirit-led, because after a while, you begin to think that you're the one that's all that. You're the one that that's the reason why that this kingdom, that I have this kingdom. God's the one that handed him this kingdom. What did he do? But he learned how to be successful without being spirit-led. Can you look back in your life, and maybe you've seen times of that before, and you've seen the selfishness maybe that grew inside of you a little bit, and you've turned and said, no, I want to be led by the Spirit, not just led by successes that I've had in the past. Sometimes success can be your worst enemy. Success can be your worst enemy. You start thinking it's because of you. Don't be afraid of your weaknesses. Be afraid of your delusions of strength. <clears throat> and God's going to show him what's going on. So he was doing weird things. He saw a psychic and he was treating people bad. Then there was this weird story. They go and they defeat this army, right? They're, they're successful. But there was another, they, some of the people, one of the kings ran off, and so they wanted to attack them. So he, he gives this weird decree out, which says, no one eat until we have got everybody. We've killed everybody over here. No one eat. So they just went through this war, and they're, they're famished, and they're hungry. But he says, nope, no one can eat. We're going to go over here. He was kind of throwing his weight around a little bit. Like, I'm the king, and you have to listen to me. And so he tells everybody, do not eat anything. Cursed be the man who eats anything. Well, that decree did not get down to his son, Jonathan. And so Jonathan's walking along, and they're all faint and walking to the next place, and he sees some honey on the side of the road, and he dips his staff into the honey, and he starts eating the honey, and the men are looking at him like, what are you doing? 1 Samuel 14, 28, Then one of the soldiers told him, Your father bound the army under a strict oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food today. That is why the men are faint. So he, for no reason, put the men of his camp in harm's way and put his own son in harm's way for the sole reason of looking like a big man in front of all of his army. He started just moving in this, moving in this direction. It was, it was really weird. He wanted to defend himself so much, and how he looked to other people was, was a big deal to Saul. That he put everybody in danger. Then there was kind of a beginning of the end for Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 15. In verse 22, what happened was is they went out to defeat, 
or they, they went out to fight the Amalekites. And so he actually did a little something good. He sought the Lord. What should I do? Should we go be, take the Amalekites? And so God says, yes, go and attack the Amalekites and wipe everybody off the face of the earth. Just get rid of all of them, okay? They've been wicked in my sight and all this. So wipe everybody out, including the sheep, including the cows, all the animals, just gone. So Saul's like, I'm your man. Let's go do it. And so he takes his arm and he goes out. He defeats the Amalekites, but he spares the king, and then he spares many of the sheep and the goats and the cows and all this. His plan was to have a big parade through the town, and he was going to show that I, Saul, have captured the king of the Amalekites, and then now we're going to go sacrifice all of these sheep. And He disobeyed the Lord, in short. He didn't do what... what uh, Saul had told him to do and what God had told him to do. And it was actually really, it's kind of funny. The Bible's funny sometimes because Saul, Samuel, uh, the prophet, you know, comes up and, 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 he's, and, and he says, and, and Saul runs out to him, hey, I did everything the Lord told me to do. You know, I'll wipe them off and I, and I, and I defeated the Amalekites. And uh, Samuel in verse 14 says, then what is all that bleeding of sheep and goats and cattle that I hear, demanded Samuel. He's like, Dust my ears deceive me? Is there, you know, it's just kind of one of those, I don't know if he's sarcastic or not, but it was like Samuel, oh, you did what you were supposed to do? Then what's that I hear? What's that going on over here? There's all this sheep and cattle. So verse 22 says, But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying in the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Obeying the Lord is better than sacrifice, okay? In fact, the reason why we have sacrifices is because there was disobedience to begin with. The obedience came first. And so God, or Samuel says, says to Saul, obeying the Lord is better than all this peripheral stuff over here. Obeying God is what is important. And you have chosen not to obey God. In fact, not only that, but you want to drag these people in a parade so that everybody can see how great that you are. Verse 23, for rebellion is like the sin of divination or witchcraft. Wow, rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. It's, it, it wasn't one thing that happened with Saul. And many times it's not one sin that's just, that's just going to completely derail us. Sometimes it's a deterioration of our character that goes down, down, and down until you get to the point where you like other people looking at you as opposed to looking at God, which is what we're supposed to be doing, right? We're made in the image of God, and that is to reflect God. But too many of us sometimes, like Saul here, he cared about people looking at him. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men and so I gave in to them. He was more afraid of the word of his men than he was afraid the word of the Lord. Think about that for a second. He took more stock into what people over here said and thought than he took into what God wanted him to do. Have you ever been in that place? Verse 26 but Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Look at verse 30. This is, this is appalling 
what Saul says here next to Samuel. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. He doesn't even say the Lord my God anymore. He says the Lord your God. But he says, listen, I've sinned. I got, you caught me. You caught me, Samuel. I sinned. But can you please still go with me and honor me in front of the elders? <laughs> what, what a deterioration of character here, even in this one story. Right after a success, by the way. He didn't, he didn't fail in his mission, he didn't do, but he didn't carry out everything. He did about 90% of what God told him to do. Some of you say, well, that's, that's pretty good. I've gotten a 90 on a test before and was pretty happy with that. He did 90% of what God wanted him to do. But that disobedience, the Lord said, is as the sin of witchcraft. Wow. That's quite an elevation, isn't it? But then he says, honor me in front of the elders and before Israel. Saul was great, was a great leader in some respects. But his self-will prevented his potential. He didn't want to lose Samuel's and the people's support. Yes, he apologized. Well, I said I'm sorry. His apology reached his lips, but not his heart. And you get in a point where you think that if you say the right things, or even if you do some of the right things that are close to right, then that should be good enough. Well, I come to church nearly every Sunday. I'm involved in ministry even, so I'm probably fine. That's, that's the attitude that Saul is going on here. Saul did enough right things to feel good about what he was doing. But really, that is salvation by works, if you think about it. It's a salvation by works. But, but Lord, you know, I, I realize we're not really that close, but look at all the stuff that I do. That should be fine. That's Saul thinking, and that's not kingdom thinking. That's not kingdom thinking. That's Saul thinking. It's corrupt thinking. But we do this. We, we do this many times. There are things that appear right, or maybe we're near to right, but it's not right. I mean, we're not like completely out of the ballpark. We're kind of on the sidewalk next to the ballpark. Isn't that good enough? I'm not inside watching the game. I'm not inside in the presence of everything, but I'm like on the sidewalk. I can hear some stuff that's going on. That's sometimes how some of us live our lives, and we think that's good enough. We think that if we're, if we're near right, then we must be right enough. There are things that sound right, but they're not right. Attention is not respect. Just because somebody gives you attention doesn't mean they respect you. Comfort is not fulfillment. Just because you, are, you feel good and, and you can rest your head on a cushion and, and you are comfortable does not mean that you are fulfilled in life and what you're doing. Money is not happiness. We've seen that time and time and again. But time and time again, people fall for that trap. Money is not happiness. Information is not knowledge. It's close, but it's not it. Twitter is not reality. I'm just here to let you know. But everybody on Twitter says, did you know that there's only 12% of America actually on Twitter? So even if everybody on Twitter says, you're only talking about one-tenth of the population. Existence is not living. 
it's near each other, but it's not right. Alcohol is not medicine. Okay? Oh, boy, I just, I just need to go knock back a couple, and then I'll feel better. Alcohol is not medicine. Stay away from it. Waiting is not patience. If you've been in the doctor's office, you understand that. Singing is not worship. I sung the song. I was thinking about other things, but I was singing the song. Thinking is not praying. It's close. It's near it. Doing is not obeying. Saul did a lot of things. And you know what? Nearness is not closeness. Nearness is not the same as closest. Many of you are sitting near someone that you're not very close to at all. You barely even know their name. Nearness is not closeness. And this goes through so many other things. In fact, it was one of the things that, that led me to the Lord. Teenagers in the room. Nearness is not closeness when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. Just because your parents are Christian, and so therefore you are near Christianity, does not mean that you are Christian. Nearness is not closeness. There's a difference. You can come into the house of the Lord and you can be near the presence of God, but if you don't enter in, then you are not close to the presence of God. Nearness is not closeness. Saul cared more about power than he did presence. Saul was very much into the the power of what God can bring him. He cared more about his arm than, than he did his heart. <laughs> he cared more about the, the arm of the Lord than the heart of God. He had a taste of power, and that's all that he wanted. And by the way, power is not just, I have muscles so I can pin you to the mat, okay? And sometimes we think of power in that way. Power sometimes can be the, the exact opposite of it. There are some people who are down and out, and they play, you know, like the victim card, I guess, and so they, 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 their life is in such a way where they, they never rise above and out of the pit because they always want someone to come and help them, and it's their, they, because they love that attention. They don't love you, they love your attention that you give them. Does that make sense? And so there is a negative influence that they have over all the people around them. They actually don't want to get out of the pit, because if they get out of the pit, they have to stand on their own two feet. So they keep themselves in the pit to have power over you by selling their sob story over and over and over again so that everybody will come help them. Now, I'm not saying don't help people. I'm saying understand that there are some people who don't want to be helped. They want attention, and they want that power that they have over all the people around them. That's, that's a similar, similar stance. But Saul did really enjoy this power that he got. He loved defeating the armies. He loved being paraded downtown. He loved the power that he got. Many people pray for God's power. And you know what? That sounds spiritual, doesn't it? It sounds godly to pray for the power of God. But hidden in that is a craving for fame. If you want power without presence, then really you want to rule. If you want power without presence, okay, and you'll be successful for a time. You look at Samson, sought the power, didn't really care about the presence. Saul did this, I hate to say it, but even over the past couple of decades, there have been some high-profile ministers who loved having their names in the paper and whatever else, 
but it was obvious they had no relationship with God, and their kingdom fell. So you can be successful for a time with the power of God, but the power of God does not necessarily mean approval either. That's when we seek the presence of God. So contrast this life of Saul that we see. Started off pretty good, but then deteriorated slowly. It wasn't one thing. Deteriorated slowly, and it was this crave for power that he wanted, not the Lord. And then you look at David. Before David became king, what was he? Shepherd. He was a shepherd boy. Shepherd boy was the lowest thing that you could be. This is the job that you gave the runt. <laughs> this is the job. Whoever's youngest, okay, you're the shepherd boy, okay? We're going to go off and do these great things. Uh, you just watch the sheep. And so that's what David did. Year after year after year after year, David has taken his, his father's flock, and they're, and they're walking over here for a while, and he'll stay in this area for three or four days, and they'll eat all the grass. Then, all right, let's keep on moving this way, and they'll walk over here for three or four days, and, and he's... And he's he, Walking these sheep around all year long, we'll come back home, we'll have some Christmas, and we'll eat some, some good stuff, and then we'll go back out again, go tend the sheep, okay? So we're going to walk around over here. And so they're always walking around the countryside, David is, with these sheep. And so that's how he learned to be a king, actually, is by being a shepherd. So he would go up, and, and he would find this, this stream, this stream of water, and there's this huge tree that's there that had fruit, and it gave him shade and all this. And so he says, all right, hang out over here, sheep, and eat some grass or whatever. We'll stay here a couple of days. So he's able to sit under this tree and get shade and fruit, and he's got water right here, and everything's great. And so what does he do when he's a bored teenager? What every other bored teenager does, and they're just kind of sitting around. He just picks up a rock and starts throwing it, right? <laughs> they just start throwing rocks in the stream. Then he picks it up, and he I wonder if I can hit the tree there, and he throws it, and he hits the tree. I wonder if I can do it with a slingshot. So he gets the slingshot going, and he, boom, hits the tree. Let's see if I can hit that branch over there. I got the tree a few times. Let's see if I can hit that branch, and he throws it, and boom, gets it. Good. How about that smaller branch right there? Let's see if I can, see if I can hit that one. Oh, missed it. All right, let's try it again. Let's try it again. And he, he's practicing, practicing. Boom, and he got it. What about that little leaf right there? It's a little bit above nine feet tall. Let's see if I can uh, hit that small leaf. Looks like the forehead of a giant. Let's try that. Let's see if I can hit that. Boom! Got it. And that's what he did. That's what he did as he's walking around. He's learning how to use that slingshot. What else does he do as a shepherd? Well, from time to time, discipline has to happen. Because when he says, hey, sheep, we're going to go this way. And then there's one sheep that keeps walking this way. And so he says, no, 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 we're going this way. You see all those rocks over there? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're, you're, you fell in the rocks. Okay, let's go. So you come over here and you got to pick him up. What they would actually do is they would break the leg of the sheep so that he couldn't walk off. And then he, what he'd do is he'd carry, he'd bandage it up, carry it on his, and then they walked to the next place. Took care of his sheep. Sometime with discipline, but he took care of his sheep. What about when? Bears and lions attacked and all this, he fought them off. You take care of your flock when you're a shepherd. What else do you do at night? Can't really see too much, so you get your harp out, you start writing songs. What else are you going to do? You start writing songs to the Lord. So this is how David spent his childhood, his, his teenage years, 
being a shepherd. David learned how to be a king not by spending time with other kings, but by being alone in the presence of the king. He spent year after year after year just walking and talking with the Lord. Throwing rocks, playing the harp, taking the sheep from over here to over here and all this kind of stuff. And that's what he did. He learned how to be patient. He learned how to care for sheep. He learned how to be patient. He learned how to fight off enemies. He learned how to be patient. He learned how to worship the Lord. And he learned how to be patient. He cared more for presence than power. He loved the presence of the Lord. So then when it happened, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Here we are. God says, all right, Samuel, I've rejected Saul as king. Let's go get another one. And so Samuel goes to the house of Jesse. He's directed to the house of Jesse. Jesse brings all of his sons, except for one, all the ones that looked the part. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Even Samuel, this man of God, sometimes he knew what he has just gone through with a guy that looked the part. But still, Eliab walks by and goes, oh, now that's a king. Look at this guy. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God is not impressed with your muscles. God is not impressed with how good you look and how smart you are. He's not impressed with all that stuff. And sometimes we, we kind of bring that to the Lord sometimes. It's really weird. What God cares about and what he sees, he looks at the heart. He looks at who you are. He looks at who you want to become in the Lord. And that's who he looks at, and that's what he saw in David. You see, man sees Saul's stature. God sees David's heart. Man sees the fiery preacher of Saul. God sees the humble prayers of David before the sermon. Man sees the buildings that Saul builds, that the Sauls of the world build. God sees the idols of the Davids that he tears down in his life. There's a difference. God sees a difference, and he's looking for people who are kingdom-minded. Look at, look, at look at what David is doing. Look at his heart. Do not look at appearance. Don't do it. It's a tale as old as time. It's happened all, all the way since 1 Samuel and before. Do not look at appearance. It's not who looks the part. It's the heart that he looks at. There is a difference in the outward clothing of the Spirit's power and the inward filling of the Spirit's presence. There's a difference. Let me say that again. There is a difference in the outward clothing of the Spirit's power and the inward filling of the Spirit's presence. The outer clothing can be put on or taken off, but the inward infilling of the Spirit of God changes you. It changes you from the inside to where you are a different person. And that's what God is looking at. And he finds it in David. David found a heart. that He cared about the presence of the Lord. He actually liked walking around with the sheep all day. He got to write worship songs. He got to talk, talk to God. 
That's who David became. And that's who David was becoming. And so some of you are like, okay, well, I, we, all, we look at a story like this, and we always see ourselves as David in the story, right? Like, we're not Saul, we're David. So we're David in the story. And so let's assume that we're David. We're, we're David in this story. We, we want to find the presence of God. That's the type of person that we want to be. Why does God always put Saul's in our life, though? Have you ever had a Saul in your life? One of the crazy things that Saul began to do, because David came, became into the court of Saul. He played the harp for him whenever there was an evil spirit that came upon Saul. He won battles for him and all these different things. One of the couple things that Saul did, Saul, at least two times in the Bible, while David was helping him, tried to pin him against the wall with a spear. That's what the Bible says. He tried to pin him to the wall by throwing a spear at him. Well, that doesn't make sense. David's over here seeking the presence of God. Aren't you supposed to protect me from all this stuff, God? Like, I'm doing right. I'm doing what you told me to do. Shouldn't I have, like, no trials in my life? Where is that in the Bible? That's got to be somewhere. Why, are, why does God allow Saul's in our life? Well, there's probably many reasons. But I'll tell you one of those reasons. One of the reasons why God allows, if we're David, if God allows Saul's to throw spears in our lives is because maybe he's trying to get the King Saul's that are in us out of us. Maybe we look at Saul and go, I do not want to act like that. I do not want to treat people like that. When, if, if, if I ever get some sort of authority, I'm not making decisions like he made decisions. I'm not treating other people the way he treats. God, kill the spirit of Saul inside of me. And let me tell you something. There is a spirit of Saul and a spirit of David inside all of us. And whichever one we feed the most that's the one that's going to rise to the top. Are we going to feed that spirit of Saul where it's about selfish and reputation and it's about us? Or are we going to feed that part of us that says, no, it's all about you, God. It's all about you, God. And I care about your presence. It's interesting. 2 Samuel chapter 8. To skip over a, a book, 2 Samuel 8. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David reigned over all Israel doing what was right or just and right for all his people. I was blown away. I'm reading through First, first and Second Samuel right now, not even for this message, but just in, 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 in my daily reading. And I was struck by how often David kind of asked God's permission. Should I go here? If I go here, will I win this battle? And God says, yes, go there. You'll win the battle. And boom, he's gone. God, should I go over here and do this? No, don't go over there. Okay, okay, we're going to go this way then. It was, like, it was constant. It was all the time David was saying, God, what do you want me to do? Do I go this way or this way? And God would say, go this way. And then, all right, here we go, guys. We go this way. Read through it again, especially the end of 1 Samuel and, and, and through 2 Samuel, at how many times he inquires of the Lord, God, what do I do? All the time. Why? Because he had learned to be in the presence of God. And, by the way, he learned to hear the voice of the Lord. That's how, you, that's how you hear the voice of the Lord, by spending time in His presence. Have you heard someone call your name from across Walmart and you know exactly who it is? Oh, it's my mom. Oh, it's my kids. Well, how do you know their voice? Because you spend all, all day with them. You spend all the time with them. You know their voice. 
So when they speak to you, you know it. If you're in a situation where, well, I just can't hear the word of the Lord, then you've got to get in the presence so that you can hear the voice of the Lord. And David knew this because he loved the presence of God. When God said, go this way, he knew it was exactly God. All right, we're going this way. He loved the presence of God. When he left Saul, he was alone again. I mean, Saul's throwing spears at him. So he runs off and he's alone once again, just as he was when he was a shepherd boy. He's alone once again. He finally gets caught up with, with, with some of his friends. But for a time there, he was alone and he began to write just some of the most amazing psalms ever. And I want to read two of these psalms to you just to hear the heart of a man who is after the heart of God, right? So he writes this psalm. It's the very first one in your Bible, Psalm chapter 1. If you want to turn there, you can, but Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, it'll be on the screen. He writes this psalm to the Lord after spending so much time with him, loving the presence of the Lord. He says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. He's saying those people that choose to care about what other people think of you, or to spend time with them, and to talk about the things that they care about. It says, blessed is the man, not those who doesn't walk in that, but who delight, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Not, not blessed are those who do their own thing over here, this Saul way of thinking. Blessed are those who spend time in the presence of the Lord who are kingdom-minded. They, they spend their time in the presence of the Lord. Verse 3. That person, the person who follows God, the person who meditates on day and, day and night, the person who is all about his presence, that person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Why was he able to write such a beautiful psalm like this? Because he lived it. He lived this song. Remember, year after year, he would find that one tree that was next to that stream right there that would give him shade and give him fruit, give him what he needed while his sheep were able to get what they needed. But that tree remained strong and tall because it was planted right next to the stream right next to that life-giving water that that plant needed. But that's for us as well, that if we plant ourselves next to a life-giving stream of God, then we will have this nourishment constantly, year after year after year, and year after year after year, have shade and fruit to be able to give to other people. He was able to write this psalm because he lived that psalm. He lived it. And he saw, as he's walking, I wonder if that tree is going to be there. Yep, that tree is still there. Why? Because it's planted next to the stream. That's, that tree is not going anywhere because it's planted right next to the stream. It's not one of these trees that are near-ish to the stream. It's not near, it's close to the stream. What does that tell us? To be continually, year after year after year, nourished with the things that God has for us, then we stay close to the stream. We say close to God. David knew exactly what he was talking about and what he was doing. 
Then the second one. The second psalm is Psalm chapter 51. This is the psalm that he writes after he committed his sin with Bathsheba. And don't forget that, that David was human as well. He sinned as well, right? He sinned as well, and he commits this sin with Bathsheba, and so then he goes to write a psalm about that, about what happened. And it's an interesting contrast between what Saul did. See, when, when Samuel brought his sin, Saul's sin, to him, said, you've sinned, you've been caught, Samuel's response was to, what are all the elders going to think? What is everybody else going to think? And how many times have maybe we done that as well, where we sin and, ooh, I wonder what my husband would think, what my wife would think. I hope they don't find out. What if my kids knew that I committed this sin? What if the church knew? What if pastor knew? What, what, would all, what would they think? What would the people think? How about what does God think when we sin? He's the one we're sinning against. The sin is against God. Saul's first thought when he was caught in his sin was to think, how am I now going to look to everybody else? Contrast that with how David reacted when Nathan brought his sin to David. David says, create in me a pure heart, O God. That word create, he didn't say, take this heart and put a Band-Aid on it or maybe some ointment or, you know, kind of fix it up a little bit. He says, rip that evil, vile heart that is in my being. Rip it out, throw it away, and create something completely different. I don't want anything to do with that line of thinking. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Listen to this. Do not cast me from your presence. What did he care about? He cared about the presence of God. Do whatever you got to do. Do anything. Whatever you got to do, just don't take your presence from me. I'm sorry. Create in me a, a pure heart. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit away from me. That is what David said. Created me. Don't take your presence from me. He understood that the presence of God means everything. It means everything to him. And he didn't want to last a day without it. Listen, Saul prayed for power. David prayed for presence. Saul got neither, and David got both. Saul prayed for power. David prayed for presence. Saul got neither, and David got both. Thank you, Jesus. I believe a time is coming, and maybe even here, where God is taking his hands off the Saul's of the world who care about looks and reputation, and he's placing his hands on the Davids of the world who just want his presence. I don't know about you, but I want the presence of the Lord. I dare not go anywhere without his presence. Saul thinking is about self 
is about power, is about fear, is about how do I look to others. David thinking is about God, His presence, honor, and how is God glorified. David thinking is kingdom thinking. How about you? I want to be kingdom minded. I want the presence of God. If you would stand with me this morning, I'm going to give us an opportunity here today. If you are here today, I challenge you to look inside your heart and say, where is there a Saul thinking or or, or a Saul, any part of Saul that's inside of me? And you need to say, God, rip that out any kind of selfishness, any kind of look at me, any kind of what I care about is, is how other people view me. Maybe you do just enough to feel spiritual, but you haven't gone all the way. And you say, I want that spirit of Saul out. And I want that spirit of David. That's, that's, that's what I want. That spirit, that spirit that says it's about you, God. It's about you. So, what I'm gonna do, I, I just I've been praying for the for the presence of God here today. Some of you just may say, I just want to be in the presence of God. After I mean, after something like that, after talking about that, I want to be close to the Lord, not just near, I want to be close to the Lord. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask us to find a place to pray here. And, you, and just I want us to be in the presence of the Lord. However long that takes, I want us to be in the presence of an almighty God. And you may say, God change me, and I pray that God's presence changes us changes that that Saul mentality inside of us and we move to a kingdom mentality which is David so if you would even right now one two three go find a place to pray but I want us to get into the presence of the Lord I want it to be commonplace for us in this church to seek the presence of God with all of our hearts so whoever that is find a place to pray All, all of us find a place to pray and talk to the Lord actually say words to God God is there any Saul mentality inside of me? Any, any corrupt mentality or any selfishness inside of me, God? Rip that out and help me to love the presence of God once again. Let's take several minutes. Let's talk to the Lord. Actually say words out loud to God. God, help me. Help me to love your presence this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Lift up a praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. God, help us to seek your presence. I don't want to seek your power without your presence. I thank you for your power. The power in your mighty hand, the power of a king that I'm thankful for, but I don't, I don't want to just seek that. I want to seek your presence. I want to seek you. I want to get close to you, God. Help, help me. Help me to stay close to you. Like a, like a tall tree next to a stream as there year after year after year. Help me to stay close to you close to you, God. Lord, I thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. Go with us this week, Lord. Help us to seek your presence. 
us to take that time that maybe we normally spend 10 or 15 minutes. And what if we went a little further? We went a little, little deep. It's not about the time. It's just letting go of some things and giving that time and space and energy to you and kind of move in that direction of, of caring about your presence, God. Help us to just kind of move in that direction where we're seeking after your presence all the time. Meditate on your word day and night, as Psalms 1 says. Meditate on your word day and night. Help us, Lord. Lead us, guide us into what you have for us, Lord. In Jesus' name.